Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 79. Today we are celebrating our three-year podcasting anniversary by discussing our top three episodes of all time. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from the school week, share some ideas in a segment called Know Better, Do Better. We'll share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip. And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So now it's time to talk about some highs and lows from the school week. And uh, this is our last in-person school week for a while, right, Tanya? Yes, it is. Saying that out loud. So after uh, Thanksgiving break, we are going to be fully remote between Thanksgiving break and winter break, which is a great little pocket of time. I think it was a very good call by our district to do that, but knowing that this last week there was a little bit of stress looming in the air as teachers and students were all preparing for the going remote again, but the nice part is we had a full week's notice instead of a day's notice this time, and I don't know about, well, I do know about you, Tanya. You know, we I've been prepared to go remote since the beginning of the year. This is something we have been harping on a lot. So I personally wasn't feeling that stress as much as I know some of my colleagues were. But anyways, I digress. Highs and lows from our last in-person week for a while. Tanya, what do you have? Okay. So as you mentioned, we will be going remote and Right. I was not stressed because I have been preparing my students for this and making sure they know how to get on my Google Classrooms and Seesaw Classrooms and all that. However, um, uh, on Tuesday, I was experiencing some chills and my fever was higher than it is usually. I'm usually run very low. So I was getting a little nervous about that. And um, I did not go to school on Wednesday because I instead made an appointment for a COVID test and I did not go to go get go to school on Thursday because I was still waiting for my results from the COVID test. Okay, I don't have COVID. It was negative, so that's good. Um, but I was a little bummed out because I did not get to see my students. We had Friday as a teacher development day. I did not get to see my students. I did not even get to zoom into the room because I had to make sure I got an appointment to go get the test and blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, so that was kind of a low, but I'm going to mention a high point because a um, another music teacher, a friend and former student, Mandy Madsen, uh, contacted me and she's in Savannah and she asked me if I would do a little performance for a kind of um, online sing-along TV show that she does for her students. And I was able to record something, um, singing and playing dulcimer, dulcimer to the turkey song. And so that was a fun activity to do. And then I got to use it with my students and I actually sent it out to them, even though I didn't see them in person. Um, through their Seesaw classroom and they were responding to me and I was responding right back, you know, in real time when they were in class and, and I was at home waiting for results. So um, I'm going to chalk that up to a high because, hey, cool technology, we can still be in close 
maybe even a little bit more one-on-one -on -one because I was just literally sitting in my living room responding to kids as they like drew me pictures of turkeys and made little recordings for me. That's so, And I'm glad you're feeling better, Tanya. Yes, I'm feeling fine. It's just one of those things where you just wonder, should I stay home? Should I get a test? Should I? Should I not? And I just knew if I didn't, I would be feeling weighted down by that about not knowing and am I infecting people and what's going on? So when you find yourself doing that, just, you know, do the, do the test, get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so mine's going to be a high as well. So that's good. Um, I had my observation this last week with my principal. You know, it was funny. He said, you know, now that we know we're going remote, if you want to get your observation done in a in-person setting and not via Zoom, let me know. And I was like, me, me, me. <laughs> not that, you know, I'm totally afraid of doing Zoom remote teaching, but I just haven't really done it for real yet because I've been all in-person or asynchronous remote. So anyways, wanted to get it done. And he came in and observed my, I have a kinder first grade combined class. And it was my steady beat presentation lesson for whatever that's worth, where we're actually looking at heartbeats instead of icons. And I present that vocabulary of steady beat. And it just, it went really well. The lesson went really well. And what I kind of liked about it, and it wasn't purposeful, was it had just happened to be a lesson where I didn't plan any technology. So pretty much everything we were doing was just typical stuff, but with masks on and spread out. And maybe instead of touching hands for this game, we just put our hands in the air. You know, they, they were tapping steady beat on rhythm sticks. And then I gave them individual beat charts so they could tap their own, do a tracking activity. And it was just like a nice reminder of like, yes, this is this, we can still make music and this still works. And it was a really successful lesson. And I got a good feedback review conference with my principal. So it was fun. I'm sure that's a big weight off your shoulders too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. To have that done going. Cause like I said, had I had to do it over zoom, yeah, whatever would have made it work, but yeah. it's just nice to have that done. And I'm sure he's glad he's done too. And of course it was awesome. So yay. Hey, onward. And, um, we haven't even mentioned that you and I are now Zooming. Oh, that, that's right. In case the sound sounds a little different or laggy or, you know, whatever the term is. Um, we are being responsible citizens right now. Our, both of our counties in which we live in are um, in the red, which means we are, what is that, stay at home officially? We are just really supposed to be staying at home is really what that means. We're well, not yes, our colors, our house. dial just changed last week. And we added a new um, color, purple, which is like beyond red. Yeah. Like literally don't, don't even like outside the door, get under the bed. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's kind of like the one, two, two and a half. Anyway, I just, please, everybody, if, if you're listening, uh, just wear a mask. Don't go out. Don't be in crowded places, like in public spaces, in crowded places. Our governor keeps telling us that we should be celebrating holidays with only our household. And that is a bitter pill to swallow, but my family's doing that. Gotta do what we gotta do. Yeah.
And now it's time for our main theme. So this is our third year anniversary of Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. Wow, three years, that's a lot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and um, so we, we decided that we wanted to kind of celebrate with, with threes. So we went and saw what our three top listened to podcasts were. Which episodes did people tune in for the most? And we re-listened to these episodes and we wanted to like kind of give some retrospective on what are the things that we said then that we still stand by? What are things that we are thinking about differently, especially knowing now is, you know, in this COVID teaching time, how do things translate? Yep. That's exactly. So um, we're going to start with uh, episode number three, as in the top three, the third most popular episode, which is actually episode number 49, which is our focus on kindergarten episode. So we did a series where we actually talked about each grade level in turn, what makes that grade level kind of unique and what do we focus on conceptually? um, What's the general flow of our lessons? And I, I remember when we were planning this, Tanya, I remember saying to you, I bet the kindergarten lesson and then maybe like the fifth grade lesson will be the top of those because just in talking to lots of colleagues um, when it comes to the youngest students and the oldest students it seems like there are students that gravitate towards one or the other seems like the middle like first second third grade everyone kind of has their good ideas of what they want to do but kindergarten there are some teachers that just really freak out about kindergarten and they are their own animals so I totally get it and lo and behold this is our third most popular episode. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's also worth saying that Carrie and I are mostly coming from a Kodai context, a Kodai lens. Um, So, you know, when we, we, if you listen to any of these episodes, when you listen to us mention specific concepts, melodic or rhythmic concepts, that is where we're getting our structure from, is from the Kodai world. Yeah, definitely. So um, just some highlights for me that when I listened to, I was like, yes, that still holds true, whether um, you're in a COVID teaching world or not, um, and whether you're in person or remote. So one of the things that I I nodded in my head along with us was this idea of the importance of of changing up your activities frequently in kindergarten. Um, There's that wonderful rule of thumb that you want to keep your activity segments in your lesson equal to the age of the child. So we're talking no longer than a five-minute segment in kindergarten. Um, So whether that's your activities you're doing with them over Zoom or in person, you want to keep changing it up. And, you know, normally without having to worry about COVID restrictions, that would mean we're up playing this game and now we're sitting back down and now we're up playing this game and we're sitting back down. And I'm still doing in my kindergarten lessons a lot of up and down. The difference is they're just in their own spots. And to me, I thought that's going to be really lame. It's not going to feel as fun for the kids, but it still does. Like when we- I know, I know that cracks me up. Yeah. They still really get into that. It's just literally that just change of elevation, that change of level um, from sitting to standing. And it's still a quote unquote game. You know, if I call the game presented that way to the kids. And I was going to mention the same thing about like having- a change of pace for them more often when it's kindergarten. And I've been really thinking about how this is going to translate into online teaching because as we are going remote, um, I'm going to be doing, and I know you also are going to be doing some synchronous 
through Zoom classes. And I have had some experience this, this uh, school year because I do have a online kindergarten class that I meet with, but not a whole lot. It's been every third week is when I see them. And I've tried to keep it very much like we're standing up, we're doing something, we're singing. Um, something that I was thinking about as I listened to this episode was how things have to be from the waist up if we want to see them. Huh? Right? Um, games that involve circles or taking hands have to be adapted. And even in the classroom live, like you were talking about kids being in their spots and doing the thing, that's been uh, something I've been doing my with my live kindergartens. But on the Zoom kindergarten, things have to, uh, those kind of things seems like they have to be even shorter. Right, right. Yeah, another thing that stuck out to me from this episode that I still do is this idea of having kind of your, your consistent lesson game plan, so to speak. Um, this really speaks, I think, well to those who gravitate towards John Fire Robbins' methodology and resources, this idea with younger students especially that they kind of know what to expect. They know that when you come in, you're going to start with some sort of a greeting or maybe an echo song and then move into some vocal exploration and then now we're going to move and now we're going to focus on a concept and whatever those lesson chunks are for you, whatever works for you is great, but kind of having that same lesson format that outline and then of course changing up the activities within it so doing different echo songs doing different movement activities moving to different recorded music and this will work whether you're in person or teaching remote via zoom or whatever um, i think that's really important for our young learners that they know what to expect yeah they like that predictability and again as we're going online i'm just going to be keeping that format and uh I, one one thing that i'm a little bit concerned about that I have to watch for is that when you are in person with kids, you can read the room a lot better than when you're looking at a lot of little boxes or even God forbid, if they're like not showing their camera, which, which is a controversial thing. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a challenge. It's important when you're in person, and this is something that I think comes with experience, is being able to notice, oh, the kids, they really need to get up and move. I didn't necessarily have that in my lesson plan now, but we need to do this because they're kindergartners and they are wiggly. Um, yeah, we'll be able to see them wiggling, I think, a little bit via Zoom, but it's not the same as in person. You can really tell in person. So picking up on those cues will be a little bit more difficult, but yes. And then an another thing that I'm, I'm my, I just keep thinking about since it's going to happen right after Thanksgiving, that um, when on Zoom, my kindergarten lesson is not going to last for 45 minutes. Yeah, totally. I'm going to aim for 20, 25 minutes tops. Yeah, I'm thinking around 15, to be honest. I mean, maybe that also includes five minutes of kind of them coming on and listening to some music on the way in, and then maybe 15 minutes of focused uh, time. Because, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for them and their little brains and bodies to be sitting and staring at a screen all day. Um, and then both you and I, Tanya, we were using Seesaw with our young learners. So then, of course, we'll send them off to do an asynchronous activity on Seesaw. Yeah that uh, backs up, that supports the learning we were just doing in class. So that's exactly. 
you get that individual feedback, assuming that they can find the activity and actually will complete it. But that's another issue. I'm hoping. I'm hoping too. I work so hard with those kindergartners, you know, in person, like, okay, press this now. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that parents will be helpful as well. And I just keep thinking about how glad I am as a parent that my children are older. I can't even, my heart goes out to anyone who has small children right now. That must be so challenging. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about some things. If we were to re-record this episode now, what are things that we're already doing differently or might think of differently? Um, to me, the number one thing that stuck out is, in, you know, all the examples of songs and activities we were given, they were, they were great. There was not, well, for the most part, there's one more we'll <laughs> But, um, you know, just the idea of making sure that our repertoire is diverse and representative of our students as much as possible. And this is something I know I've been working on. You've been working on, Tanya, many music educators. It's it's something we're constantly striving for. Right. And I'm not I'm not perfect and I'm not there yet. But especially I will say in my school, because I have a high um, Spanish speaking Latino population from various countries, I'm trying to make sure that I'm including more repertoire from various Spanish-speaking countries, not just all Mexico, although I do have a lot of students with Mexican heritage, but it's not about that. It's, it's about finding diverse music to expose them to. Exactly. Yes. Um, um, one song in particular that we know that we mentioned in this episode that neither of us really um, do anymore is anything around the song Old Joe Clark. Right, Tanya? Yes. 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 Even um, I, and I have to say, like, I haven't sung the original lyrics, and I'm not talking about um, lyrics with uh, problematic words, but I mean any of the, not even the first verse lyrics in a long time, but it's the melody that's been adapted with different lyrics over and over again. But even that, it's such an iconic song mm-hmm. that it's not as though we can, and I know this goes on and on in, in Facebook groups about can we keep the melody and get rid of the lyrics and replace them? It really is a case by case. Well, I don't even know if I could say that. This is an example of a song that is well known enough and is iconic enough that has problematic uh, lyrics in it that I'm just not comfortable doing it anymore. I and. <sighs> You know, I say that now, and this is something I should have known then, but now I understand more about how I can't just replace the lyrics and call it good, especially with a song that is this well-known. Right, right. So... And when there's plenty of music to choose from, and I think in the example that we talked about, you know, it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't even that we were singing the original song, we were just using the melody. So, Mm -hmm. you know, why can't we find something else for that same purpose? So um, anyways, yeah, there's way, there's lots of music out there that is suitable for children. Right. Another thing I will add about this kindergarten lesson in particular, because this is a goal of mine all the time, and we actually just had a podcast episode about this recently, is this idea of giving our students more choice and more voice. And this is something I'm definitely working on, um, even in the younger grades. That's where, for me, I it's difficult for me because I'm a bit of a control freak, and <laughs> I'm worried with those little ones. If I give them too many choices too soon, it can go awry. But, you know, even if it's setting out different instruments and they get to choose which instrument instrument they're going to play or asking the students more often what kind of voice should we do this in or how do you want to move to the beat now Um, just something that I'm always trying to incorporate in my lessons is more choice of voice 
And I, that really stood out to me as well, listening to this episode. I mean, lately I've been really focused on choice voice and, um, you know, SEL things. And so I was kind of surprised listening to all these episodes, especially this one and the songs and games and activities for the first days of school of um, how, how little I talked about student choice and how little I talked about kids having the opportunity. Um, well, I mean, later on when we talk about uh, classroom management, I think that there was more of that, including kids and their ideas. But even in kindergarten, things have to be developmentally appropriate. Like you were just saying, you can't give them a lot of choices because that's not going to go well, but giving them like this or that kind of choices. And I actually think this is going to translate pretty well into a Zoom environment, you know, especially as we're making visuals and Google Slides for kids um, to see that I think that this might be something that being um, on Zoom, we might benefit because we might have more focused attention on any kind of like choices that way. And especially if we're using Seesaw Classroom, um, assignments. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, but I've been doing a lot of draw this and then sing it, mm -hmm. draw this and then sing it. And so I feel like I'm actually getting to know individual students better because I'm seeing more of and hearing more of their individual response, right? So I'm kind of thankful in a strange way that I'm doing so much more of this online stuff because when I'm sitting at home and grading things and looking at things, that I, I'm getting much more than if I'm in the classroom and I'm doing a live performance assessment, even if it's only seconds long, and then I got to move on to the another, another kid. Like it's, it's always been so like, you know, okay, oh, that was great, Avery. And now I got to go to the next kid. Um, so I'm kind of feeling like this has been a time of more getting to know the kids. And that's such an important thing. Um, we mentioned relationships in all of these episodes, but I just wish I would have stressed it even more, but I guess maybe under the circumstances, I'm understanding how much more enriching it can be to their, to their takeaway of what we're doing in the music class. Yeah. And something we did talk about a lot um, that I also want to mention is this idea of, you know, especially in this Kodai world, but I think a lot of teachers are feeling this way, hands down, is this idea of I'm so behind and I'm not where I should be conceptually with my students. We're not where we should be because of the shutdown in the spring and things moving slowly this year. And just giving ourselves that permission and that grace to say that's not what's most important here. And especially in kindergarten, if you are their first exposure to organized music, which for most kindergartners, unless they've taken some early childhood music class, we likely are, you know, it's that importance of you know group music making in whatever way we can love and appreciation of many different types of music and that you are a musician that you five-year-old child are a musician from the from the moment you were born you have been a musician and these are some ways you can develop that exactly. and that relationship building through music is so powerful yes it's a ton titi when we need to in first grade because kindergarten went too slow i'm okay with that yeah, and we did talk about that. We talked about it's okay and probably preferable if kindergarten is one big prep 
for all of your specific music concepts that you're going to get to in first grade that you really want them soaking in good music, but also um, having building those relationships and that community of music making. Totally. So again, that was episode 49, Focus on Kindergarten. So let's move on to now our second most popular episode, and popularity meaning how many times they've been listened to. Um, episode 22, Songs, Games, Activities for the First Days of School, which is not a surprise. That would be a popular episode. I know me, at the beginning of the school year, I'm always seeking out new ideas and new resources, and then maybe by this time of year, November, I'm like, I don't want to listen to another podcast right now because my brain is already full. And so like, I get that. I get that feeling of overwhelm in the beginning of the year you're seeking out ideas and you know off mic Tanya and I talked about well is this even like should we even talk about this episode or is it silly and I got to thinking about how many people out there maybe are going to be starting to see your students either in person for the first time so you're going to be establishing some of those routines and procedures or on the flip side like Tanya and I we were in person now we're going remote so now we need to establish our remote routines and procedures and expectations and just especially coming back after a long break whether it's Thanksgiving break or winter break the importance of revisiting routines, procedures, and all the things that you would do in those first few days of school. So that being said, I still think it's worth talking about now, and I think it's worth listening to again, even if it is the middle of the school year. Yes, and I would like to say that that was a, I thought it was a great episode because we mentioned so many specific songs and games and activities, and so as I was listening, I thought, yeah, you know, if I was a, a, especially if I was a um, first year, second year, third year teacher, here's some repertoire that we what I like about our podcast is we get very specific about things that are working in our music rooms. Yeah. However, I will say listening to it was very uh, illuminating because I thought, wow, I haven't done that one this year. Oh, I haven't done that one this year. And this whole COVID year situation has kind of given me permission to kind of just change things up much more than I ever have before because I've, my mindset has kind of been like, that's great that that worked for so many years and I'm not doing that right now because the effort that it takes to make this thing that I've been, this one song activity game that I've been doing for years and years and years in order to adapt it is too much work and I'm just gonna shift gears and do this different thing instead. So I'm, you know, in a way, um, this is kind of like, what I needed to force me to say, hey, if there's no time like this year to totally mix it up and just take a break from some of the everyday, like, oh, this time, if it's August, I'm singing this song and this song and this song and this song. Several of the songs in games, I would say most of the songs in games that I mentioned and you mentioned, I've not touched this year. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I mean, one thing we talk about is, was a lot was the importance of connecting um, through singing and specifically through physical connection, like playing a singing game. And I mean, this is something I've always said in the beginning of the year, I want kids physically holding hands, touching hands, connecting hands in some way. And I put in a song or a game or dance that does that because I want to establish with our kids at the beginning of the year, it doesn't matter. We join hands, we touch hands. This is just part of our community of music making. So obviously this year <laughs> is the opposite. No, don't touch, don't touch. 
But to me, the connection wasn't so much about the physical connection. Now it's more about the social emotional connection. And this is why Tanya and I this past summer did the book club about music and social emotional learning, the book by Scott and Edgar. And again, like you said, Tanya, it's like I always wanted to do some of these types of activities and I always knew how important it was. But when I got into my regular routine, okay, first day of first grade, this is what I always do those new ideas went to the side where this year I was like, I'm going to embrace it. So, you know, doing lots of social emotional activities, lots of things about emotions in music. I did a whole unit about that at the beginning of the year this year, um, talking about how music can, can help bring out emotions, can help comfort us when we need to be comforted. And then with the older students, we talked about this soundtrack of my life project. What a great project that was to kick off the year. And I'm going to do that every year from now on with my older students. Um, so anyways, yeah, I totally agree. It was, it was bye-bye to the physical connection and hello to the social emotional connection instead. Yes. And I have to say us reading that book over the summer and doing the book study was very helpful to me. I mean, you know how I, I need accountability if I'm going to, uh, read something, especially over the summer that, uh, yeah, some kind of professional development, so important to have that. But then like I was really working it and still am. And so it's really good to bring it into the classroom right away and adapt some of these activities. And it's been so beneficial. And every time I feel guilty, which I of course do, that we're not where we're supposed to be with our, our musical learning, I go, it doesn't matter. Let it go. Yeah. This, just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say also, that's not to say that we're completely throwing out what I consider to be those fun singing games for the beginning of the year, because you and I in our district did have permission to do some singing in our classroom. So I have been, and I have taken some games and we've talked about apple tree like a gazillion times now this year, <laughs> you know, taking a game like that, that we know that kids to love and we're still playing it, whether it's in person or in a remote environment you know, some sort of a elimination game where you're taking students and dragging their little apples off the tree if you're in a remote, you know, Zoom environment or in person, if you're just having them sit down in their spot and then play an instrument, you know, this idea of fun singing games, even though we have to adapt some of them, we can't throw them all out the window. We shouldn't. If you're allowed to do singing games in any way, it's still worth doing. Um, totally adapted easily and not I mean I think like what you said if you just can't figure out any way to make it work then let it go come up with something new but if you can come up with a fun idea to the kids it's still going to be new to you is what's going to feel weird and different right you're not going to know any different exactly yeah um, something else that I, I like that we mentioned and, and something I still do is um, the importance of, of instrument activities, even in the beginning, maybe not on the first day of school, but in the first couple days of school to get kids excited. Kids love playing instruments. So if you're doing an elimination game, for example, when kids get out, now they can go play the rhythm sticks or they can play a board tune on the ORF instruments. Obviously, if you're in a remote environment, maybe that's not going to work so well unless you've sent kids home with individual rhythm instruments kits or whatever but if you're in the classroom just remember to get those instruments out if you can wipe them down spray them clean them however you want to do it but kids just love to add instruments to things and this year especially when we had to take out some activities I almost find myself doing more instrument activities as long as it's something that's easy to wipe clean when I'm done yeah yeah I was going to put a plug in for um, my my top 
Instruments that are easy to wipe or spray down would be boom whackers, super easy. Mallets are easy to wipe. And I actually have been throwing kids the disinfectants wipes and having them wipe down mallets and then showing them where they go. And um, so that's been quick and, and effective. Um, and even with the ukuleles, the ukuleles that I have do have a coating on them. And I've had kids wipe them down. And so far, I haven't had any, any issue with that. Now, of course, now we're going remote. And with the third graders that I've been remote with, I've been doing a lot of found sound instruments yeah. with them. I mean, of course, they're all like percussion. We don't have a lot of pitched instruments that way, which is okay. Um, so, yeah, if you're going in person, just please be safe uh, about all of that. Um, I'm so we're so lucky in our district that when we were live, we had 10 minutes in between classes in order to spray things down, let things dry, wipe things off and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as things that we would change or, you know, do differently. I mean, obviously we talked about making things COVID friendly, um, but you know, something I've been thinking about, and I know you've mentioned this too, Tanya, is this idea of like, will we go back to normal, quote unquote normal? Will we ever join hands again? Or will we be kind of shying away from that? Because we know not just because of COVID, but colds and flus and, you know, will we just be a little bit more self-conscious? So, you know, yes, I like to say that we're going to go back to normal someday and we won't have to think about these things. But I think the reality is we might be playing some of these games and we might have some new routines from now on about that. Yeah, um, I'm very curious. I, I keep thinking about like, boy, this would be a time to be like um, someone who studies sociology um, and psychology. And I'm very interested to read articles that might come, come out uh, involving like how people greet each other and um, group together. Like even after we have many people or most of the population vaccinated, like what is going to be the return to normal and how long will it take before people do take hands? And what, what about children who are coming up as like kindergartners, first graders and, and being told not to touch and like developmentally, what's going to happen to society as far as like touching? Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah, I keep struggling with like, well, how, how will, if everything is safe, in the, the future, how do I build that up? And should I be building that up? And like, how slow do we take that? Cause I know in the past I've been a stickler about like, we take hands, that's just what we do. But is that gonna be triggering for students in the future? And yeah. that's pretty mind blowing to think about society and how that's, that's gonna be something we have to really think through. Yep. It's true. Yeah. Sad, but true. Um, so to be continued on that. Um, but then another quick thing that another song we we did mention, we mentioned Jim Along Josie, oh, Jim Along Josie. Uh, early beginning movement song, which I've used, you've used, and the research is very clear on that one, that that is a very, it was very specifically written to be mocking and racist to black people through the minstrel tradition. It is 100% out in my classroom. I do not do that anymore. Um, I've replaced that with other free movement activities um, or move on your own dot activities, but Jim Long Josie is no longer welcome in my classroom. Yeah, yes, 
Yes. And oh boy, I've been, I, I have pushed this song through my career. Yeah. Um, oh, me too. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's Jill Trinka's done it. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just one of those songs that so many of us did. And when you know better, you do better do the research um and make the decision for yourself but that one's pretty darn clear in my opinion yes, that one is clear working on all the things but this one is do it i'm sorry say that again because i talked over you i said um the research is pretty clear on that one as far as it was written in a very intentional mocking way absolutely so there doesn't in my mind need to be any more debate about that one yeah yep. episode number one is classroom management episode number four is our number one listen to episode which again no surprises right right yeah because classroom management is one of those things that you don't know what you don't know until you are in the situation and i thought this one was a pretty tidy episode where we talked about you know um structure of class and we talked about consequences and rewards and all those kinds of things however when i was listening to this i have to say that my mind is not where it was um my mind is not where it was uh i i can talk a little bit more about that but i don't want to i know that you have some specifics that you wanted to to mention go ahead you go on talk about that first okay um all right so my big takeaway was, um, yes, it's great to have, of course, structures and systems where you're rewarding classes as a whole or as individuals. We talked about PBIS. We talked about restorative practice, which is a lot, a lot more long-term than when you can do in the moment with uh, a student. But what I kept thinking about, and I, and I think that this is just my, my realization over the last year um, and having experienced some specific run-ins with students is that um, I, I'm a lot less authoritative these days and I'm a lot more compassionate and understanding, I like to think, um, because I keep thinking back, there's this quote and I'm going to get it wrong and I should have looked it up about um, when your lettuce does not grow in the garden, you don't blame the lettuce you find out what the problem is. And that I, I'm trying to remember the Buddhist uh, who has that quote. I will, I'll put it in the show notes. So I keep thinking about like, I, I can't blame the lettuce. Like I, I can't, if a student is, is really upset, angry, acting out, first of all, don't take it personally, which I've known forever. However, I do sometimes but how I, I need to be more productive in finding out how can I help this student? What can I do to help this student? Even if it takes more time outside of class, how can I connect and make and build a good relationship with this student? Because I have had discipline issues in the past where I was a bit too hard headed and my first reaction was like, well, this is school and this is class and this is what we do. And why can't this student just do what, what we're doing? Well, the why is a big deal. There's a big old why, why a student who has 
consistent trouble, not just in my class, but in all the classes, you know, the, the story that is behind that is heartbreaking, right? And especially when it's, well, just anybody, but especially when it's a, a developing child, a second grader, for example, is not going to rise above all of the trauma that they're having in their life and then just toe the line just because. Like, I'm just trying to be a lot more introspective of each circumstance and each problem that kids might have, right? So again, the SEL is so important. And as we were reading that book, um, something that I thought was, was missing was talking about, or talking about handling classes where you do have kids that have been through trauma because the perspective of that Scott and Edgar book was that most of these students, I mean, they're, it was written from a secondary perspective. These kids have chosen ban. These kids probably have a firm foundation at home and it's just enriching their character and this social, I'm not saying that um, a certain base or um, a certain family means that you have no problems. I'm just saying that there, there was missing um, how to really approach building relationships when there's obstacles in the way because kids have been traumatized by something else besides what's happened in school. And we don't want to add to that. And I think maybe sometimes in the past, my hard-headedness might have added to, to, you know, the, I don't want to say I've traumatized anybody. I really, I don't think I've traumatized anybody, but on the other hand, I don't think I've necessarily helped in some situations. I don't know. I'm being very long-winded to say I'm a lot more understanding and caring and willing to do more work outside of the music room to build relationships. And that's the most important thing. So when it comes to classroom management, the best thing you can do is to let your students know that you want to know them and that you care about them and that you love them even. Yeah. And to be authentic about it. Authenticity is huge. Yes. Oh, it's so good, Tanya. Yeah. I mean, while you were talking, I mean, to me, the visual that popped in my head when I've done any sort of specifically PBIS training, but lots of different trainings talk about this tier system, right? So like tier one, what are you, what do you do with all of your students to set them up for success? So the things we talk about in this episode are very much tier one things, things we do with all of our students. We establish routines and procedures. We practice them in a fun and organic way while we're doing singing games, while we're getting instruments in and out. We're not just sitting there going, you do this, you don't do that. Like we actually put it into practice and we do it. We give them clear consequences when we need it, but then we move on right away and we reward them in fun musical ways like choice boards and things or choice days and things like that. And all of that is like that tier one stuff that you do for everybody. But I think what you're getting at and what we didn't talk about in this episode as much is what you do for your tier two students, which are the students who are like 
they're kind of your classic troublemakers, the kids who are going to get into some trouble in whatever way, but digging into the why, why is that happening so consistently with those students? And that's where that SEL piece comes in, because I, I agree for me, it, instead of digging in with getting to know the students and why that behavior was happening, I went quick to correcting the behavior. This yeah. is need to act. Um, and then, of course, for your tier three kids, which are those couple of students who really have some serious trauma and act out in some very, very concerning ways, that's to me when you get your team and you make sure you talk to whatever mental health services you have, the classroom teacher, your administrators, parents, and you get everybody on board because likely it's not just you. I'm sure it's probably happening in other places. But yeah, for those tier two and tier three students, um, yeah, SEL and, and really getting the why. Why is what's, what trauma is triggering this behavior? What am I doing that's triggering this behavior? And not just about correcting the behavior, but understanding where it's coming from first and then collaboratively correcting the behavior with the student. Not saying it's okay for you to behave this way, but how can I help you or can, how can you help yourself? What are some options? What are some strategies you can use? Um, that's kind of, yeah, I agree. I've, I've gone more of that route myself. And it's so hard because we don't have the time that we need and we have a lot of students. So that is what I think really wears away at teachers overall is that there's a, a lot of time that's needed to try to address these things. And it might not be solved is the other thing is I used to think, well, if I just spend enough time. If I try hard enough, then I can really have this kid be successful in music. And that's not always going to do it. Right. Um, it might even be a situation where as much as I try, this student might always have a hard time with me. And it might be simply because I'm female, right? Mm -hmm. It might be simply because um, I resemble someone that's hurt them in the past. And those are, those are hard realities to swallow, right? Um, and I just have to hand it to my social-emotional um, counselor, social worker um, at our school that we are very lucky to have full-time. And she's just been wonderful in, in that role. And I'm really trying to see th things through her eyes. And it's made all the difference to really look at kids as individuals as much as I can and adjust where I can and then also not beat myself up um, over things that I can't change. I'm going to be female. That's going to be how it is. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So if I were to kind of sum up one big takeaway I got from listening to all three of these episodes and thinking about why these three episodes have resonated with so many listeners that they've gotten so many listens, I think it really comes all down to that relationship building because yeah. we talk about it in all three episodes and I think that's a common thread with all of them and how important it is more than ever right now um, that we are building relationships with our students through music that the relationships are more important than the conceptual understanding right now. We've got to just make sure music is enjoyable and healing and a part of our students' lives in a way that's beyond ta's and tt's and so's and me's, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's very clear in all of the episodes there, there's any of these that we listen to, there's never a time that we say, if you're not on page such and such with the kids understanding of musical concepts, then 
you know, you're not doing your job. That's a big um, important thing. I want to know that I'm teaching music, but most important thing is that I want kids to value music and I want kids to feel valued. Yes. So now it's time for our segment we call Know Better, Do Better, where we re-examine a practice or a piece of repertoire or anything at all in our classroom that we have questioned for a variety of reasons um, and we are replacing with something else is generally what we talk about, but we'll see what Tanya has to say today. So take it away, Tanya. Okay. Well, I have to give thanks to one of our listeners and someone who has also purchased um, things of mine from Teachers Pay Teachers because I was alerted to the fact that I have a product out there still that has um, the song Dinah in it. And these are my rhythm tracing worksheets. I am in the process this weekend of changing them because this is just, it's one of those things that kind of um, just passed me by. And I think that it's just worth reminding everybody, especially myself, that we, as we are taking out repertoire and replacing repertoire, that we still have to look through things that we might've put out in the world, like my rhythm tracing worksheets and replace them. So um, these worksheets that just simply tracing over rhythms but I've got a Tikka Tikka set and it has Dinah and I think I might take out Papa Patch as well. Um, yeah. So I'm not like, oh, it doesn't matter. I included the song and I need to replace it with something else. And if you have a TPT store or if you have a collection of songs or if you, because you've done your Kodai levels and you have that huge old collection, it is worth going through and making yourself a note if it's just for you that says, okay, I don't do this. I'm not going to do this. And here's why, because you might forget why. Yeah. And I know you've talked a lot about that, Carrie, especially with the class that you were teaching over the summer is that you were saying, don't take it out. Give yourself a reminder about why this is something and the reason that you don't want to take it out is because you want to have that remembering piece of like, okay, yeah, I used to do this song or this is in my collection, but this is something I don't do. And here's why. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I need to go through all of my TPT products and take out those things that I know now are, are hurtful and harmful and problematic. Yep. Yeah. I always told my students, take it out of your lesson plans, take it out of your concept plans, but don't take it out of your collection. It can live in your collection, in your binder, um, because it's a piece of history. That song is, is, it is there for a reason. You just have to know what that reason is and then whether or not you would include it in, in your class. And I'll just mention, if you don't know why um, Tanya is saying she is no longer going to use Dinah in her classroom, Google it. <laughs> because if you simply Google songs with the name Dinah, um, any song that has the name Dinah in it, you'll find out that this character of Dinah, caricature of Dinah, is what is the, the problematic racist issue in those particular songs. So we won't get into that because you can go do that research for yourself. Right. And then um, it, this often comes up 
to anyone who is thinking, well, you know, if they are part of our past and they're part of our history, why don't we want to teach this? Well, teaching about songs that were created to put down a people is different and it is um, meant for a different developmental level than teaching the song itself and having that become part of a generation's repertoire of songs they they love and they care about. It's different. So yes, we can use songs like anything that includes Dinah and from a high school uh, student perspective or definitely college and graduate student as we are looking at songs that have shaped music throughout the world and especially in America and our American heritage. Yes, of course, we're not saying let's pretend like they never existed. We're saying that we want to know about the songs, but they're not songs that we want to plant, keep planting those seeds of racism and oppression. Yes. By teaching them to very young students, because you're not going to sit down with kindergartners and say, and here's this song. And by the way, it's really racist because there was this time in our history, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to happen. It's not appropriate it's developmentally on any level. So we're not planting those seeds. Right. And now it's time for our work smarter, not harder teacher tip. And Carrie, as environments of teaching are changing, how are we doing? How are we working smarter, not harder? I'm late to the game, but I will say I discovered Nearpod and how fabulous Nearpod is. And I'm not going to sit here and give a whole tutorial on Nearpod because it's big and there's a lot to it. But I'm going to talk about a specific use for Nearpod that I was really pleased about. Um, so Nearpod is a way for students to flip basically through like a, a lesson, like kind of like slides. But what is great about it is you can make the slides interactive for the students. You can have quiz, you can ask questions, they can be open-ended questions. There's all this stuff. But my favorite use is to do dictation via Nearpod um, for my remote learners because what you can do on some of the slides is you can record an audio of you and then they write on the slide. So just like little four beat rhythmic things, I would not suggest doing this with anything on the staff because we know how difficult it is to use a trackpad to try to draw things if students are on a Chromebook. But rhythms like stick rhythm notation, they were just fine with because um, they can write it nice and big and I would just do four beat rhythms. We were practicing our tita t patterns or cinco pa in other people's world. So on each slide I would just have a little audio that they would click on that said write the rhythm that you hear and I would speak and clap or just clap or play on a drum whatever and they would write the rhythm so it was just a little dictation activity and um, you know I would often do something like that maybe in Seesaw before but actually I like it better in Nearpod because you've got the the audio and the writing thing all on one little template and it worked really well so I'm really excited and just in time for fully remote learning because I see myself using Nearpod a lot in the future. Yay. And now it's time for our CODA section, where we talk about something we've been enjoying in or out of the music room. We've been a lot of out of the music room. Um, so Carrie, what have you been enjoying? 
Uh, my husband and I just started watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Um, we're only two episodes in, but I know we're going to want to finish it. We probably could have stayed up all night and finished it last night. We were that into it. It's really good. It's about a young lady playing chess in the, the 50s, I think, right? Seems like the 50s. You've seen a little bit of it. I thought it was the early 60s. But maybe you're right. I'm sorry. I should look it up. Paddle shoes and poodle skirts. So my instinct is 1950s. But um, anyways, it's so it's when I first heard Queen's Gambit and everyone was talking about this, I didn't know what Queen's Gambit was as far as like that's an actual specific chess move or strategy or whatever you want to call it. But I heard Queen and I just assumed, oh, this is another show about British royalty because there's so many shows about British royalty out there and I'm not really into those kind of shows. And I was like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. And then I realized, oh, no, it's not about British royalty at all. It's about this girl who plays chess. And it's just amazing. It's visually very cool. It's very, um, it's kind of a mind bender a little bit, um, but I like it. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I've watched um, not all of it, but much of it. And uh, we're both right. It says the story begins in the mid 1950s and proceeds into the 1960s. Okay. I think I, I haven't quite gotten to the 60s yet. I think, yeah. In the second episode, we're probably getting there. Um, it's probably, yeah. Anyways, it's it's just really good. If you haven't watched it yet, it's awesome. Lots of people are watching it, and I heard good things, and finally watched it. And I like it because it's something both my husband and I can agree to enjoy. We don't agree on the same shows very often, but it has just enough of a balance of what he likes and what I like to make it interesting, I think. It is fun. Yeah. And you, Tanya, what are you enjoying? Okay, well, speaking of the um, late 50s, early 60s, um, I am enjoying uh, a eight-part series on Netflix that me and my husband and actually my son, but not as much my daughter, uh, have been watching, but this came out in 2016, so I'm super late to this party, but there's a show still available on Netflix called 11 63 and it is based on a Stephen King uh, novel, I think it is. And it's a James Franco production. So he stars in it. He um, produced it. And I'm a sucker for the time travel, you know? So it's there's some time travel element there, of course, where J- present day James Franco, um, his character travels back to uh, 1960, November, And he is going to hang around until 1963 and try to prevent the shooting of JFK. Oh. So, um, yeah, it's got history. It's, I guess you would call this like um, historical fiction kind of, but it's also got that time travel element going on and it is Stephen King. So it's suspenseful, but I would not call this horror at all because um, I'm a scaredy pants and I can't do the Stephen King horror, horror stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never even read any Stephen King, but anyway, it's a lot of fun. It's very captivating. And we were up late last night because we just needed to see just a little bit more. Yep. That sounds like a good one. Yes. Oh, and a little correction. Um, this show, eleven twenty two sixty three. It's not on Netflix. It's on Hulu. 
So if you're looking for it, that's where you will find it. Lulu, gotta sit through commercials. All right, we've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. In our next episode, we're going to continue our top three theme, and we're going to be talking about our top three favorite winter and or holiday activities for December and how we're adapting those activities specifically for this year. So until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking. 